The title for today's message is, as you can follow in your bulletin, Jesus Expresses Concern and Compassion. And I want to begin this morning with just a little background. It's important to the text. You'll see it as we get there, I hope and trust. And I want to start by saying, while some have followed today the path of atheism, while some have followed the path of evolution, and have seen, in some cases, that man and his intellect, in their opinion, and man's wisdom, they've seen that as the supreme authority over the universe, that it basically rests with man and man's intelligence and and man's wisdom. While some have, without question in our world today, followed that pathway, most in the world that you and I live in, most through observation, which is so important to our lives, and through the use of intellect, through the use of the wisdom that God grants to man, most men and women, boys and girls, have recognized that man is finite. Most have recognized that man has his limitations. Most have recognized that man has the inability even to answer some of the most basic questions of life. Not everybody is there but most are. That has resulted in at least an appeal to a supreme being or supreme beings or gods. And unfortunately, if you would for one moment, and you'll see the relationship, I hope, to the text in a moment, but go to Romans 1 for just a second here. Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles. Very familiar passage. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, which I will read, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hold down the truth in unrighteousness, because, watch this, that which is known about God is evident, first of all, within them. Why? For God made it evident to them For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been, watch, clearly seen, being understood how? Through that which has been made. So that they, watch this, are without excuse. For even though, notice, they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile or vain or empty in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice the light was darkened. Professing, watch this, to be wise. They themselves profess to be wise. They become what? Fools. And they exchange the glory, watch, of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And I'll stop there for our purposes this morning. And what I'm trying to say is some have followed atheism and evolution. Others have, through their wisdom, recognized there's got to be a supreme being because we're finite. We don't know all the answers. However, because of man's 
wisdom, if you will, man has created deities or created God in his own image. And that's what Romans says. In the image of man rather than as God really is. And the result, as we well know, here in the 21st century, because of education, we know that in the past, God, excuse me, man has created gods for himself. He has created gods of the heavens, gods of the earth, gods of the sea, gods of war, gods of fire, gods of rain, gods of lightning. And it has resulted in all kinds of things, such as pantheism, that is, God is all, and that's where our generation is today. God is all and in everything. Or polytheism, that is, many gods to be referred to. And as you go back in your history, you see that that's true. Or even to monotheism, meaning one God. And not because all religions believe in one God, are they correct? Maybe in that aspect of it, but it has resulted in that. Man has created many religions and many ways to get to know what he has begun to realize because he's finite, there's got to be a supreme being. And he has invented religions. He has invented ways to get to know God and ways to be with God. Such as, just as a sample, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Voodooism, Spiritualism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Roman Catholicism, Islam, and I could go on for the next half hour, which you don't want me to do, and I won't with this. And what I'm trying to get you to see, man, some of them have just gone to say there's no God, and they will go along, and then there's evolution, because God didn't have anything to do with it. And there's most people that have said there's got to be a supreme being, and they've gone to all different ways of trying to invent religions and means to get to them and who God is and what he's like. However, the one true God of the universe has chosen by himself to reveal to man over and over and over again who he is, number one, two, who we are as people and why we're here, and thirdly, just for our purposes today, how we as people can have a relationship with a supreme being, the supreme being, the God of the universe. He has not only chosen what to reveal to us to get over those aspects, but he's chosen how to reveal what he wants us to know. And he's chosen to do that. God has chosen the methodology just as he has chosen what he will reveal. And he has chosen to reveal through the methodology of, first of all, direct revelation. Many people talk about the commandments, Ten Commandments. God chose to go face to face with Adam way back, but then with Moses. And he used that in, at times. He has also chose to use creation, as you and I just read in Romans chapter 1. He's chosen to use creation to show us his power. Uh, you can see that in the oceans. You can see that in storms and many other things. He has also chosen to record his message by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book that you and I have before us, known as the Scriptures or the Bible. God's not only chosen to reveal himself, 
but how He will reveal Himself. And this is one of the methodologies. And in addition to that, that's what we're looking at today, He is also chosen, which gets to our text, to reveal Himself through His Son. And according to Hebrews chapter 1, which I will not turn to, in many ways and in many different forms, He's revealed Himself to man, and He's also now done it through His Son. That is, through Jesus Christ. So what has God revealed to us that we can know? God has revealed several things that I want to bring you to. And one is that God has revealed, first of all, who God is. And among many other things that He's revealed to us, He's revealed that God is the one true supreme being of the universe in sovereign control. He is a spirit being. He is not flesh and blood like you and I. That's why He can be everywhere and know everything all at once. His essence is spirits, the Scriptures tell us. He is also eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. He has always been here. Always will. He is a holy God. A righteous God. A loving God. A merciful God. An infinite being. He has also revealed to us that with man... Among other things, we are finite, and most of us have come to realize that. He has also revealed to us that we are created, though man still does not want to accept that in many cases. And he's revealed to us another thing that our society does not like to talk about today. He has revealed to us that all men are sinful. We are sinful. We come short of the glory of God. We are sinners, refusing to obey the Almighty God who has created the universe. And as a result, though we see it, death has come into the world. Sin came into the world through man and death by sin. And now that's a consequence, both physically and spiritually, so that all of us will die physically. And man is not in the presence of God now because he has to be separated because of his sin. Unable to be in the presence of a holy God. Well, then how can we have that relationship? Since that was one of the things that God's going to reveal to us. You have it through salvation. God has chosen to deliver us. It's from an eternal plan of God. It is through His plan of salvation that He has revealed that we can only have a relationship with God, listen, in God's way. Not by what man invents. Not by religion. Not in by how we think we can get to God. Not by good works. God Himself must save us. Not religion. No church on the face of the earth. No uh, set of books. No set of rules. No set of goodness as we think of it. Or many ways that we might develop can get us into a right relationship with God. God must do it Himself. And He has revealed, which gets us to our text, He has revealed that His way is one way, not many. There are not many mountains to climb to get to God. He must save us. His love must do it. And He has revealed through the Word, through Jesus Christ, He has revealed uh, through Jesus Christ as well, that He has done it through the Messiah. Many people know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten, His monogenes, His unique 
one. He sent His only Son. Why? He is the Chosen One. He is the Messiah. The unique One who can save man. What does He mean unique? Jesus Christ is the unique One. Fully man and fully God. How does that relate then, Pastor Dan, to the exposition of John's account? Because John has been showing us that this person that we're going to see that's confronting Mary this morning, this one is the Christ. He is the Messiah. The Son of God. And that we can have salvation. Forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, through believing on this one. Jesus Christ is the chosen one. And John has been demonstrating that to us in this book through the miracles that he has been showing us, or as he calls them, the signs. And also, in order for him to be the Messiah, he must be fully God to be unique, but also fully man. And in John chapter 11, we're getting both of those. Lord willing, the next message, we will see the actual resurrection of Lazarus. And we've already seen, as you've been following us through this book, that he's been dead four days purposely. Why? To let you know that nobody but God could resurrect this person out of the grave. No one but God. You know, they had beliefs. We talked about that last week, about one day, two days, three days. But after four days, the body stunk. And no one could do that but God, and he's going to do it. But he also wants us to see that he's fully human. He functions as a man, not only in appearance, but with emotions. And in our text now, in John chapter 11, where we are, Jesus will do the miracle next week, but he is also demonstrating his humanity and character by what he does right now. In summarization of the first 27 verses, for the benefit of those who haven't been here, Jesus has had a close relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, this family. The family sent word that Lazarus was seriously sick and he, in fact, died. Jesus delayed two days and has now come to Bethany. Martha has run to him. That was our message last time. Martha has run to him and greeted him. And we saw how God and Jesus Christ compassionately taught her. He treated her different from Martha. He had to instruct her. But we saw how Martha loved the Lord and trusted him and this is a lesson again for us this morning, trusted him even when he didn't do things the way that she expected him to do. But he taught her. And he taught her who he was. And we ended in verse 27, so let's just take a quick look at that, and then we pick it up in our text. In verse 27, it ended with this. Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe. Now watch what she says. You are the Christ. You are the Anointed One. You are the Son of God. Why? Who comes into the world. You see, Martha got it. She understood that she was finite. She knew that she was a sinner. And she knew that God was supreme and that His method that He had revealed was the only way. And she recognized that this one standing in front of me, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one who was to come into the world. God had to come Himself. And that's how it ended. And now we see what happens in verses 28 to 32. Mary now comes to Jesus. Now you can look at the verses. 
Mary was at home, according to verse 20, if you scan up there. It says, when Martha came, Mary stayed at the house. She was sitting at the house. So Mary was at home. Martha returns to Mary, verse 28. You can look at it. She returns to Mary, knowing that there was a crowd there with her. She tries to get Mary aside quietly or secretly so that she can let Mary know that Jesus is coming and Jesus wants to see her. So what happens in verses 29 to 32 is Mary then comes to Jesus. You notice that he's still outside of the city, verse 30. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Why? Jesus knew, because the disciples are coming with him, that also he's going to get swarmed by people. And he wanted some private time with Martha, just like he had had with Mary. So he's still outside of the city. And when Mary hears the news, notice what she does. She quickly comes to him, verse 29. And what did she do? As she comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, she can't even escape the crowd. Because before we get to verse 32, we see in verse 31 that they came with her. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, let me stop there for a minute. We need to understand that the way they consoled people in those days are somewhat different from today. She couldn't escape the crowds because frequently they had what they called, believe it or not, professional mourners. Now, that's not a profession I would want. But they did have it in the Jewish culture. What were they? They were paid people who came in and they wailed. Not in the case of uh, sea whales. We're talking about they cried out loud. They basically screamed and made a lot of noise. And others who would play instruments. And what it was is they were showing this grief, but professionally. There was no feeling in it. They just did this for a hobby. They did this for a pay. And in fact, as you study it out, and if you want references, because of the time and the things this morning, I can't turn there. Matthew 9, 23, Mark 5, 38 for comparison verses. And you'll see in those contexts when Jesus came in, he said to the crowd, quiet down. And then he goes and he ministers to, to people, different situations. They were loud. They played instruments. They came in. They were professionally there. And so forth. They really weren't feeling the loss. But I want you to see now in verse 32 is what I wanted to get to. As Mary comes to him, notice what she does. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. And notice what she did. Is this what your Bible says? She went up to Jesus and said, what is wrong with you? Why didn't you come here? Why didn't you do things the way I wanted them done? Not at all. You know what she does? She worships him. Look at that. When Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet. And what's the first words out of her mouth? Lord. She would have loved to have seen Lazarus prevented from dying. She knew Jesus Christ could do it. Why? She says, if you had been here. The same thing that Martha said. They knew their Savior. He says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have prevented that. She knew the abilities that Jesus Christ had. But even though she knew what Jesus Christ could do, and he did not do what she did wanted, she still fell at his feet and worshipped him and recognized who he was. 
He did not go along with the plan that Mary and Martha desired. Listen, but they didn't lose their faith. Have you ever had situations where you're praying and you're asking God to do something a certain way and you know He can, you believe it, but then He doesn't do it and then what happens? Honestly, our faith gets shaken. We begin to question, is God really listening? Have I done something wrong? Have I not done it the right way? Maybe there's something in my life. Maybe something. Maybe God doesn't care. And don't think for one minute that Christians don't do that because we do. We wonder, you know, is God really... We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say it in public and fellowship Bible church. Only I would. We wouldn't want to say that because what are people going to think about me if they, they think that I questioned anything? That's honestly how we are. But what we need to be is people like Mary and Martha, who they said to him, Lord, you could have prevented this, but you didn't. And at, her, at his feet, she just bows down and worships him. She said, Lord, I know he wouldn't have died. You've been there. But she's still worshiping him. Can we do this? When we don't understand what God's doing, can we at least be honest enough and say, Lord, you could have prevented this, but you didn't but I'll fall at your feet. You're still my Savior. I'm still going to trust in you. The last thing that Martha said after being told about the resurrection, which she didn't get, she says, I believe that you're the Christ. She did not lose her faith, and neither does Mary. Neither does Mary. When things don't turn out for us the way God wants, the way we want them, but it's part of God's plan, He knew what he was going to do with Lazarus. He knew the best thing for them was to let Lazarus die. They didn't know that. They knew that he had the ability to stop Lazarus from dying. But he chose not to. They did not quit. They still were at the Savior's feet following him. But I want you to notice Jesus Christ as well. Notice the humanity of Jesus Christ. Here you see it. And his two things, though, I don't want you to miss them. One is his concern first, and then his compassion. His concern and his compassion. Jesus Christ was fully man. Some say that he was not. He couldn't have been fully God and fully man. He's fully God, and he shows all the evidence by what he does, and he's also fully man, and you see it here. The first thing I want you to see in verses 33 to 35 is in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who came with her, now remember, those are professional wailers. And they were weeping. Notice what it says. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now some think that that's compassion. It is not. That's not the compassion yet. He is angry. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? The word deeply moved and that it, that's in that uh, passage means exactly that, that he was scolding them. How do I know that? It's only used, it's used again, by the way, in John, in verse 38, but it's only used in three other texts. Allow me to fly through them. You don't have to turn if you don't want to, but in Mark 14, 5, listen to the use of the term. Uh, Mark 14, 5. I want you to see this so you don't just think I'm taking it out of context. I'm explaining it to you. In 14, 5, it says this, same word. It, it uses it here and it says, For this perfume might have been sold 
for over a hundred denarii um, and given to the poor. And they were scolding her. That's the same word. They were scolding her for using the perfume. You know the text. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 43, it is used there as well. Let me turn to that one. Mark 1, 43. Then there's one in Matthew. I won't turn there. But in Mark 1, 43, it says this. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. That's referring to Jesus Christ. Same word. So when you see that he was, in our passage, deeply moved, uh, or in verse 33, when you see uh, that when he looked at them, they deeply moved in the spirit, he was angry. He was upset. He was sternly wanting them. He was troubled. Why? Why was he outraged? Let me give you a couple of suggestions. First of all, let me tell you this. The context doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us why he was so upset. But it does tell us he was upset. And that's literally what that verse means in verse 33. Why? Well, I'll give you several suggestions in the context. One, because of the phony comfort that was going on. These religious people would come along. They were paid. They were wailing. And all they cared about was their money. They didn't really. They might have loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But they didn't really feel the loss like they did. Secondly, because of verse 37, I would say that the blindness of man he was upset with. They knew that he healed the blind man, and yet they still wouldn't see who Jesus Christ was. And so he was probably troubled in the spirit, that is not the Holy Spirit, but in his spirit. He was troubled because they didn't see who he was. Martha saw it, Mary saw it, He wasn't troubled over the fact that Lazarus was dead. He knew what he was going to do in a few minutes. But I think probably the best explanation that I could see is that he was probably troubled over the effects of sin. The devastating effects of sin. Why was there death? Sin. That's in the context. Why was Mary crushed and Martha crushed? Why was there sorrow? Why was there a feeling of frustration? Why was there a feeling of despair? Sin. And I believe as he looked at them and he saw the crowd coming and he saw the way that they were hurting, he was troubled because of the consequences of sin and because of man not wanting to accept God's way. And so he's troubled with it. He's deeply moved. And then he simply says, and notice, he doesn't attack them. He's compassionate as well. So he's troubled about the effects of sin. He's troubled about these people that don't see who God is and refuse to accept all the evidence that's been presented to them. And by the way, in this audience today, without exception, everyone in this audience has had evidence of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. You've had it through creation. You've had it through the Word of God and you're getting it right now. But man refuses it. That's why I say he's troubled. Not only because the passage says, but troubled over that. Martha and Mary saw it, but the people couldn't see it. They refused it. They didn't want Jesus Christ in their life. They didn't want God's way in their life. They were doing it with religion. 
They were doing it with all this emotional stuff. But he doesn't rebuke Mary. He doesn't rebuke Martha. His compassion is really seen in verse 35, which is the shortest English verse of the New Testament. Two words. What are they? Jesus wept. Now because of the time with the communion and everything else this morning, let me just tell you this. It's a different word that's used here. It's different from what the people were doing when they were crying out loud. It is different from the word that's used when he was deeply troubled. This word, when you go back and look at it, really means that he shed a tear silently. In other words, as he came, now the compassion comes out. The tear came from his eyes. He didn't wail like they did and make a bunch of noise. He didn't even cry out loud. He just looked at the situation and tears of compassion came down his eyes. The tears are not for Lazarus. You say, what do you mean? He's dead. He's going to raise him in a couple of minutes. His tears of compassion is for the sorrow that's felt by the family. For the, again, what sin has done. And his tears just rolled down his cheek. And you've got a picture of love. You've got a picture of compassion. You've got a picture of mercy here. By the Savior of the world. The one who has victory over death and can call a dead body out of the grave. The one who's already said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who has already said that he is the bread of life. The one who's God, very God, and yet he felt. Pastor uh, Chris didn't know it, but I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. The passage that he read this morning is in my notes. Let's just turn there quickly. Hebrews, let's go to chapter 4 first. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, therefore, watch this, since we have a great high priest, well, who in the world is that? Watch. Who passed through the heavens. I still don't get it. Jesus. Who is he? The Son of God. What does he say? Let us hold fast to our confession. Now watch what he says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, that's what you've got a picture of in John chapter 11 as he cries. But one who has been tempted in all ways, yet without sin. What is the conclusion of it? Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near. How? With confidence. Where? To the throne of grace. That's where grace is found. At God's throne. It's found at the feet of Jesus Christ. Why? Watch the practicality of this. Are you depressed? Do you get discouraged? Do you get overwhelmed with problems in your life? Look at verse 16. So that we may receive what? Mercy. And find what? Grace. For what reason? To help. When? In the time of need. Jesus Christ never fails us. We might not understand what He's doing. 
We might not understand the circumstances or the route that he's followed, but we have a high priest that does feel our tears, that does feel the things that we feel, and he felt it in every way as a man. And he's angry over the effects of sin in what it has done to man. What it has done through death. What it has done in separating. God's plan was for us to be with God that created us and to live for, excuse me, forever in the bliss of the presence of Almighty God. And how does it happen? Can I really be raised from a grave? Can I really live in the presence of God? Absolutely. How's that possible? Only by God making it possible. The one who created it all. The one who is not finite. The one who is infinite. The one who bore our sorrows. The one who loved us so much that he himself took on flesh and came to the earth and was willing, as you saw pictures by way of just simple PowerPoint up here this morning, and was willing to go to the cross and bear the penalty for our sin. Why? To satisfy the righteousness of Almighty God. So, so that whoever through faith in Him would trust in Him would not perish forever. Listen, folks. Everybody that is in the grave, saved or unsaved, we've already studied it in this Gospel account. All will hear His voice and come out of the graves. And you say, I cannot believe it. How is it possible? The bones have disintegrated. There's nothing but dust. Do you really believe that a God who created the universe and created everything that you and I see cannot take the dust and bring back the person? If you don't believe that, then you don't know the God of the Bible. Our God not only created it, but He gives new birth and gives eternal life. If God didn't have compassion, if God didn't have love, you and I would just have died and been condemned away from the presence of God forever. And so I conclude with this, as it does in the passage. We see His compassion, but man is without excuse. Why? Look at verses 36 and 37. So the Jews were saying, notice, they saw His compassion See how he loved him. But watch the reaction of others. But put the two together. But some of them said, could not this, what? Man, fully man. Now watch. Who did what? He opened the eyes of the blind. They knew it. It wasn't that they didn't know it. That passage that we studied of the blind man being healed. Remember even the disciples who sinned. Him or his parents that he was born blind. The Lord had to even address His disciples and say, you missed the whole point. This is for the glory of God. You don't even understand. And then He healed the blind man. And they knew it. Who can heal the blind man? No healer on TV. No healer in the newspaper. No one can call a meeting and take somebody that was born blind and heal them. Only God can do it. And Jesus Christ did it because He's God. And they knew it. And they also knew that he was fully man because they saw the tears, they saw the compassion, and they knew who he was. 
they are without excuse. Did they believe? Right there at this stage, they did not. And there are so many men, and maybe people, men or women in this auditorium, that have yet to come to believe on Jesus Christ. Are they without excuse and could stand before God and say, well, I didn't know. No, you can't. Not once you walk out of this room today. All men have creation to show them the evidence of God. They might choose atheism. They might choose evolution. They might choose religion. They might choose good works. But God's chosen to reveal himself through the word of God. And he says, I am God. There is none else. I am the only Savior. God said that in the book of Isaiah. He's the only Savior, and he came to this earth to seek and to save that which is lost. It is Jesus Christ who Mary and Martha are still trusting in and who is going to raise Lazarus from the grave, Lord willing, next week. But he's not only able to do that, he's able to raise dead people who are alive physically but dead spiritually unto eternal life. How does he do that? Through the gospel and the foolishness of preaching. Jesus Christ came into the world, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, all according to the scriptures, as the true Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing in him, you might have forgiveness of sins and you might have life through his name. You have the evidence. You can walk out of this auditorium today and never come to trust in Christ. You can walk out of this auditorium and say, that guy was an idiot. It's okay. But the gospel message is true. And you are going to walk out of here without excuse. You know, by God's grace, Mary was attended to and was taken here. You've heard this from me before. But you could walk out of these doors and before you get to your car, drop dead. Then what? Oh, someone will have a funeral and put your body in the grave. But you will be in the presence of Almighty God and on your way to hell that is real if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. And fellow believer, let me close with this. I know I went a little over today. I thank you for your grace. Fellow believer, when things don't go the way that we expect that they should, Always remember, God is still good. God is still a God of compassion. He knows what we're going through, and I can trust His plan, even when I don't understand. And what you want to do is what Mary did. Get at His feet and say, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm trusting You. In all my ways, I will acknowledge You, and I know. You'll make my path straight. You'll direct my path. I might not understand, but I understand that I can trust you. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for your love, your compassion. Where would we be without it? For you so loved us. Two-letter word that in our English language can't fully comprehend your love for us that you sent your only begotten Son. Even in this passage, we see that Martha and Mary, they recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, 
the Son of God. That by believing they had life through His name. Our desire is that anyone here that has not yet trusted in Christ, they realize that no religion, no man-made scheme, no God designed by man can bring us in a right relationship to the one true God. Only you can do that. And you've chosen to do it through sending your Son. Help them to come to, by faith, trust in the work of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for all their sins. They might have eternal life. And Father, for the believers that are here today, we thank you that we could rejoice in even seeing your hand in taking care of Mary, in seeing your hand in the communion service and reminding us of the cost of our salvation. And Father, in the Scriptures, in seeing your hand in comforting Martha and Mary, meeting their need, though not the way that they wanted it, and they still trusted in you. Help us to trust in you when things don't go the way we expect because we serve a great God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.